Hi, welcome to the Romance Me podcast. This is Erica. And I'm Em. And we'd like to say a special hello to our number one and only fan. Just a cute man. I know I didn't deliver that right, but forgive me. <laughs> I'm but a mortal. I meant a modern woman, not a mortal woman. Oh, I'm not tired. <laughs> I mean, I'm both of those things, both modern and mortal, so not inaccurate. <laughs> and just tired. Wrong. <laughs> and yet wrong. <laughs> Join the club. <laughs> uh, should I say that again? No, it's, it's fine. I, I like it. It's okay. great. Unless you want to say it again. <laughs> no. I'm good. <laughs> today, today we'll be discussing Transcendence by Shay Savage. Ed is a man with a cave, but no tribe. As a result, he struggles to find a purpose for his life after the end of another long, lonely winter. Enter his purpose, Elizabeth, a mysterious woman from the future. Together, they must face the prehistoric wilderness while trying to find some way to communicate without words. There will be spoilers beyond this point. We have a content warning for dubious consent, attempted rape, threat of child loss, and the heroine might be a high schooler. We're not sure. And we're pretty sure he might not be, hence the problem. Yay! Yay! High school age, not high schooler, because caveman. But yes. Anyway. (laughs) I'm going to stop trying to correct myself. (laughs) Well, we're off to a good start. Yep. So how about we familiarize ourselves with Ed's life? That sounds like a great idea. Ed is a literal caveman who's living during prehistoric times all by himself in a cave in the middle of nowhere. He lost his tribe during a forest fire, I think years ago, and since then has been struggling to survive. He is but one man, a young man at that, trying to collect enough food to bunk down for the winter, takes up I would say a majority of his time. Yeah, as it did. The story picks up toward the end of a really hard winter. Ed has run out of food. He's been very cold. He does have the ability to make fire, but it's very difficult. The last time he had to make fire, it took him three days. And since then, he's taken great pains to make sure the fire does not go out in his cave that is very important to him yes well don't survival. blame him at all for that <laughs> yeah i mean you need you need the fire right and it makes sense like in the winter because rain and snow and it'd be hard to find dry wood and all that good stuff i would say it's pretty accurate or what we would think of as accurate for prehistoric living you know you don't farm You don't have very much technology that you can use and the technology you have is not automated whatsoever. So everything that you eat, wear, use, live in has to be either found or created by you. Yep. So that's the life Ed is living. It's a daily struggle for survival. I felt it was realistic. Yeah, I did. There is an author's note at the beginning of this book that kind of explains the whole premise for the cave people in the story. And 
the author did say she took maybe liberties, maybe not. You know, some of this is scientific-y-ish, some not. But Ed's people don't have the center in their brain that's for language. Oh. So while Ed is intelligent, he's limited by not being able to learn or understand language. Written language, spoken language. I was wondering if she based him off of, like, Neanderthals or what. She said in the note that she's calling it Homo Savage. So it's a made-up cave okay. people. Yeah, I missed the note about the brain thing. I don't remember that being part of the audiobook. I think I would have remembered. It's really interesting, the idea of it. And she goes on to explain that the few words that Ed does learn, because there's a few points where you feel like maybe he understands some words. It's at the level that a dog might understand the words. Yeah. If you tell a dog no, the dog understands that you're disapproving and and what they did was bad or you didn't like it, but they don't understand what no is. It's at that level for him, and it's very difficult for him to understand that stuff, and he really doesn't pay attention to language either, which is very frustrating for our heroine once she gets introduced. Yeah, I was curious, like, what his what the rationale behind his type of communicating was, because I know, like, we evolved, like, our quote-unquote voice box literally has to drop into place for us to be able to make the sounds that we do. And so that's why I was wondering, like, is he just not evolved enough to to have that? But now that I know it's a brain thing, that makes a lot more sense. Right, because he, he can vocalize. He makes sounds. Well, you can make sounds, but still not be able to make the range of sounds that we can. Because literally where things are positioned affects that. There's also the idea that... Uh, okay, so... I know, obviously, we we have the capacity for language, but if you take a young baby and you raise them with no language, there is a point where they can't form the same sounds with the same amount of ease or learn language at the same level. Correct. Part of language is learned. And I think that at least as far as the sounds go for Ed, it could be something like that. Like maybe it's harder for him to make sounds that he didn't grow up making. Maybe. At any rate, it is a very interesting premise. That's why I wanted to read this book, because I like books where you have a language barrier. And in this book, you have the ultimate language barrier because the hero has no language. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I struggled with that because, okay, so he can't vocalize, but he should be able to have some sort of signed or gestural language and he could teach that to her. Yeah, but that's that's the premise of the book, though, I think, is that he doesn't have that. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand, but yes. I think you're right. I mean, if it were based on an existing cave people, maybe there would be some sort of gesturing or, you know, some sort of language, because how else can you really have a society? And it is interesting in this book, they seem to rely very much on behavioral cues. Mm hmm. And the rest of it is just very internal for these people. Super internal. And they're left wondering what other people are thinking. 
or why other people are doing that. And there's no way to explain it really in a way that they can more easily understand. They're left to come up with their own conclusions about the actions of others. Because they don't have the shared language and I get he he doesn't appear to have enough of a signed or, or nonverbal language to teach it to her. Even later when other cave people are introduced, they don't necessarily seem to have a language either. They just coexist somehow. It just, I guess because it goes against what I understand. So therefore I'm confused, but it's fine. It's definitely incredibly foreign, but that's part of why I wanted to read this book. And I'm very grateful that you agreed <laughs> to read it with me Em, because now I get to talk about it with you. I'm, I'm excited. Yay. Anyways, back to Ed. He has kind of decided that maybe he's going to give up. I think this last winter was really, really hard on him. He is really feeling the loss of his family. He's really feeling the lack of food. He's very weak. And there's there's going to be a day probably pretty soon where he's not going to have a choice about staying alive. But on the morning where the book picks up, Ed has decided, no, I'm going to go try to find some food. Previously, he had dug a pit trap to hopefully use to hunt. And on this day, he manages to chase an animal, and I think an antelope type animal from the end of a herd into the pit trap and kill it and then take it home with him. So it's a really fucking good day for Ed. He's got some food. <laughs> Yay. Yay. <laughs> He's got his fire. He's cutting off strips of meat. He's cooking them. He's eating them practically raw because he's so hungry. And then he thinks, oh, shit, I left my spear over by the pit trap. I should go back and get it. He goes back to the pit trap. And there's a really weird noise coming from the trap. It's a noise he's not really ever heard before. And it's kind of freaky to him. But he investigates because it sort of reminds him of distress sounds from when he had a tribe. When he peers over the edge, he discovers a woman wearing weird clothes. She, he's never seen the types of clothing she's wearing. And her hair is long, like down to her waist and very straight and very silky and clean. And he's not really familiar with that either. He doesn't do a lot of grooming. <laughs> I was talking about uh, reading this book with one of my other friends. Um, and <laughs> this friend of mine is a nurse. And she's like, but what about his oral hygiene, though? Ew. Yeah, no. <laughs> Are you sure that's a romance? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you kind of have to just go along with it. It's fine. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, just don't think about it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think about it too much. <laughs> yeah, I actively was trying not to think about it. <laughs> this story is completely from Ed's perspective. So we don't get into the heroine's head until the very end. There's an epilogue where you get like a brief tidbit. But throughout the story, we have to learn along with Ed with context clues why this woman is doing or saying or acting the way she is. I thought that was also really interesting. I enjoyed it. I thought it was interesting. <laughs> it's kind of mysterious, some of it, but some of it is blatantly obvious. Like in this part, 
because he jumps down into the pit and he's fascinated by her hair and he tries to touch it. And this woman starts screaming. He covers her mouth because he's worried about the noise attracting predators and she bites him. Yeah. And then he takes on like this dominant position. No, me big strong man type of thing. Yes. Aggressive male posturing. Yes. Which then makes her stop screaming because she's afraid. (laughs) I'm assuming (laughs) like, oh crap, what's he going to do now? Ed is happy because he has another person now and it's a woman. So he has a mate. This is exciting. It's a great day for him. (laughs) I'm so glad for him. (laughs) He's been alone a really, really fucking long time and has been really starving for the companionship of another human. It would be hard to hunt big game by yourself. Societies exist for a reason. (laughs) Yeah. And there's other things too. Like he's thinking, oh, good. She can gather food and do the weaving that I <laughs> suck at. I can do the hunting and it'll be great. Yeah, he's super into we it. We could split up the chores. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> survival will be slightly less difficult. <laughs> and I mean, part of it too is, yeah, he wants to make babies. He wants to procreate. But he also really just wants companionship too. Someone to help out. <laughs> do some of the work (laughs) yep division of labor so sexy sorry (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) he takes her home with him and kind of forces her to go into the cave she is not into this at all she definitely wants to run away ed can tell she wants to run away but she realizes seemingly that she really shouldn't because she doesn't know where she is and (laughs) who knows what else is out there ed tries to feed her and make her comfortable he tries to show her around his domicile she just cries (laughs) eventually it gets dark and he shows her the bed makes her lay down with him she's not into that either she starts struggling again when he takes off his kilt thing He doesn't do anything. He just sleeps naked and wants her to sleep with him. So that happens. The next morning, Ed wakes up and he is resolved to get her to like him. He doesn't want a mate that doesn't like him. It's very important to him that they have a positive relationship and they're friends. While he really does want to mate and he wants to give her a baby, he doesn't want to force her because that will make her not like him. Very likely. He's pretty sure anyway. (laughs) Good call, Ed. (laughs) I know. This is the most gentlemanly caveman ever. (laughs) So when they get up, he shows her around his cave again. He shows her all the cool stuff he has. He doesn't have a lot (laughs) because he's had a real shit life for the past few years. But, you know, he's got this nice storage place for his wood and he's got some other stuff and she's just not super impressed he gathered all that lumber and all that so he could burn it or not lumber but yeah and he's like look look at this amazing thing that i have and she's just like so unimpressed because she doesn't get it different culture different rules yeah she has no idea (laughs) i mean that probably took him days and days and days and days of hard manual labor she's like um (laughs) okay 
look, honey, we're not going to freeze to death. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> Let me freeze to death. <laughs> I'm in a wasteland with a caveman and we can't talk. And he won't let me leave. Please, please bring on the savage, cold touch of death. (laughs) Once they get outside, she starts screaming again and making a lot of noise. And it's clear to the reader that she's talking, trying to talk to him, trying to communicate with him. But he doesn't understand. He just interprets it as, wow, my mate is really fucking noisy. That's not safe. Yeah, he's psychotic about that sound stuff. (laughs) To the point where I'm wondering if he had a traumatic brain injury that makes him, like, susceptible. Because he kept mentioning his headaches, too. Yeah, the noise gives him a headache. I'm wondering if he, like, hit his head real hard a couple of times. I don't... (laughs) I'm not trying to be cruel. I know a lot of times I say things sarcastically and it comes off as cruelty. But I'm not. I was legitimately concerned. I'm like, okay, suicidal ideation. I don't think so. I think... (laughs) I was just kind of curious. (laughs) Chronic headaches, like, sounds and all kinds of stuff. (laughs) I interpreted it differently. (laughs) I took it to mean that he wasn't used to the level of sound. And so it was hard for him to tune it out. Yeah. And because he couldn't tune it out, it would give him a headache. And I've experienced that sort of thing where I can't tune out some sort of horrible sound like construction next door, for example, Mm. or something. It's an unusual sound because we don't always have construction next door. Thank goodness. (laughs) And as such, it's harder to tune out because it's unusual. And so your brain is constantly redirecting you to this unusual noise. Hello, listen, there's a noise over there. Did you notice the noise? Hello, there's a noise. And eventually it can give you a headache. And that's how I interpreted it. Yeah. She's like construction noises. (laughs) Sexy. (laughs) The dulcet sound of a jackhammer. (laughs) Yeah, that's... (laughs) Yes. (laughs) exactly okay so she's really upset and he does not know how to comfort her the things that he thinks might make her happy she doesn't seem to care about she keeps making noise and he doesn't understand it but eventually she calms down a little bit she tries again really hard to communicate with him and what she does is she gives him her name sound so the one sound his people do i guess is each individual has a sound that is for them for example his is ed her name sound is elizabeth (laughs) which he cannot say and doesn't like because it's too long and complicated it eventually gets shortened to be which is his way of saying beth he decides okay well she gave me her name sound so that must mean she accepted me as as her mate yay this is going well (laughs) he takes her to a nearby lake and he is able to catch fish with his bare hands that does impress bae she is into that she's like ooh, sexy outdoorsman skills or it's just obviously skilled i don't know i would be into it (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) he starts to wash sort of ed does not like bathing. He doesn't like being cold. I think being cold is a big deal to him because it's harder to get warm than where Bae is used to washing all the time, apparently. 
At least as far as Ed knows, she likes to wash all the time now, and he doesn't understand. But this first time, he kind of cleans up in the lake a little bit, and he tries to get her to wash off too. And the way he does that is he starts trying to take off her clothes. She doesn't like this. I'm sure she interpreted this (laughs) differently than he intended. Very likely. (laughs) She fights against it, and she ends up smacking him on the nose and saying, Ed, no. This makes Ed very sad because this means that she does not accept him as a mate after all. He feels very rejected. The weight of the loneliness of the loss of his family and tribe sinks in again. He's like, okay, well, that sucks. I guess I'll give her the fish I caught for her and let her go. So he wraps up the fish in one of the furs he has with him and he gives it to her. I think he's kneeling. I think he crawled over to her because he's just really upset and he doesn't even want to look at her. He's not looking at her. He's holding up this fish. Here, take the fish. (laughs) It's okay. It's fine. I understand. But instead of leaving, she comforts him. He's very confused. (laughs) Does she accept him? What's going on? I am getting mixed signals. He realizes that she doesn't want to show her body when she bathes because she keeps trying to get him to turn around he wonders if maybe she has some sort of injury or some sort of handicap or deformity and that led to her being shunned by her tribe and now she's hiding it because she doesn't want him to shun her or something he finally turns around so she can bathe but he's worrying about predators and he's worrying about not being able to see her Because he doesn't want her to get lost and he doesn't want her to get eaten and he doesn't want her to get hurt. And he kind of wants to see her naked. I mean, (laughs) he peeks over at her and realizes, oh, wow, she doesn't have anything, quote, unquote, wrong with her at all. She's even more beautiful than I first thought. Why is she hiding her body? I don't understand. Because to Ed, nudity isn't really a big deal. No, different norm. She catches him peeking. She seems more embarrassed, maybe, because she gets her cheeks turn red. I think maybe she was either embarrassed or I don't know. I don't think she was mad. After that, she starts combing her hair with a stick that she finds. And then she gets Ed to come over and she combs out his hair with a stick as well. She's noticed that he's really fascinated with her hair. When she first starts trying to... (laughs) Comes hair, he freaks out. He's like, What are you doing? This hurts. (laughs) (laughs) But then he realizes, Oh, okay. No, it's fine. It's okay. She's grooming me. It's all right. She also finds, I think, mint and she gets really excited. She like chews on the mint and uses the leaves to wipe off her teeth. She checks out his teeth. (laughs) which when I was reading this part, I thought of my friend that I told you about before. (laughs) I'm like, ah, they covered it. (laughs) Sort of. (laughs) He still has all his teeth. He's very proud of that. She forces him to use mint to clean his teeth and chew on it and whatnot. So he's minty fresh now. Apparently that's fine. That's going to keep their teeth okay for the rest of their lives. The next day, Ed tries to get Bay to make baskets. So they can gather grain. One of the reasons he has been struggling with the gathering portion of hunting and gathering is that he doesn't have any baskets and he's not very good at making them. He realizes Bet is even worse at making baskets than he is. (laughs) So they go out 
and they gather grain in a fur instead. They fold up the grain into the fur, I guess. There's more hair combing. Ed is fascinated by the fact that his hair feels more like Bez's hair now, although her hair is definitely softer and better. And of course, every night they go to bed together. Ed sleeps naked, spooning Bez. Bez deals with it because she has no choice. When Ed wakes up in the morning, he tries to mate with her. He's thinking, okay, we had a really good day. I impressed her with my fish catching skills. I thought she wanted to leave me, but then she stayed after all. She thought my teeth were good. She brushed my hair out for me. This must be it, right? So he tries to initiate. Be is not happy with that. She says again, Ed, no. And Ed realizes that no means she's not happy with him. But he doesn't really know what he did wrong. It's like, I was just trying to mate with you. I thought it was fine. <laughs> I thought everything was good. What did I do? <laughs> he seems very like sad puppy every time yeah, she says he no. He respects the no, but he's just, I, I messed up, but I don't know why. And I don't know how to fix it. And I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. They gather some more grain, but it starts raining, so they go back to the cave. Ed starts working on the antelope hide that he has. Bed makes a mat out of reeds. Bed also makes a really terrible basket, but it's better than no basket, so progress. She's very excited about it. Ed is like, yeah, that's a shitty basket you made. Good job, girl. <laughs> She's like, hey, I made a basket. Look at this. <laughs> well, when they go out, I think the next day the ground is all wet. Beth finds some clay. She gets really excited about this mud that she's digging in. Ed is like, okay, you can dig in the mud like a crazy person. I'm going to make some knives out of flint over here. <laughs> There's multiple times in the story where Ed is like, my mate is really weird, but I like her. <laughs> Beth uses the clay to make some plates and cups she takes them back to the cave with them and sets them by the fire to dry. Ed doesn't know what she's doing with them. He's like, okay, great. She's got some dirt things she made. Good job. <laughs> that night at the cave, Ed realizes that Bed does seem to be attracted to him. So it's even more confusing that she doesn't want to mate with him. He's starting to care for her. He's starting to think, well, even if we never have kids, because she won't let me mate with her, I'm happy she's here. I would be sad if she were gone. <laughs> the next day, Beth wants to go back to the lake. And when they get there, she tries to get Ed to bathe. But he will not, because he doesn't want to be cold. I thought, she's like, okay, well, if I have to have <laughs> sex with a caveman, he's going to be clean. Yeah. <laughs> but apparently... He's not going to be clean, guys. <laughs> that night when they lay in bed together, they touch each other. Bea kisses him. Ed is very affectionate with Bea. He likes to run his nose on her nose and down her neck and whatnot. This seems to be his form of kissing. He is very into this kissing, though, even though he had no idea what it was at first. They kiss a lot, and then he tries to put her hand on his erection, and she says no. It's like, oh, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> and it felt very like teenager mm -hmm. making out to me. <laughs> I don't know if you had this experience, um, but you know, you're making out with a boy. 
you're both in high school and he grabs your hand and puts it on his dick. Yeah, that's what it felt like to me reading this. Like, ew, no. At least he respects the no. Just kissing, thanks. <laughs> right? <laughs> Ed is happy that there's kissing, but he's sad that Bet isn't willing to mate him completely. So the next morning when he wakes up, he decides he's going to do everything he possibly can to win her over and get her to want to mate with him. And even though the day starts off well, and Bet even shows him her pottery, she had been and trying by the fire and he's amazed because now it's hard and he takes one of the plates and he taps it against a rock and it breaks because he didn't realize it was going to break obviously this makes bev really really upset she cries and cries and cries ed tries to comfort her but nothing really works he's cuddling her and rocking her and trying to soothe her and she's just she finally has a win (laughs) and it gets broken yeah (laughs) Not all of them, but still. She even grabs the the shattered plate and throws it off into the ravine next to their cave. No, you can't be here. There's a reason for that. We can talk about that at the end, though. I don't want to spoiler it. Eventually, Bay gets her period. She's very upset about this, too, which (laughs) I would be as well. I'm in the middle of nowhere during prehistorical times, and I have my period. (laughs) Shit. Ed, however, had a mom and sisters and is not grossed out by bodily functions whatsoever and remembers what the women in his family did and so helps her out. Good job, buddy. And now Bear cries again. And I interpreted the crying as grateful, like, oh, he's so sweet <laughs> and the caring and he helped me with the period <laughs> and I'm moody, so I will cry. He doesn't understand why she's crying. (laughs) He's like, look, I helped, though. (laughs) Why are you crying now? Stop. We we get a few time jumps in this story. So here's our first time jump. Some time passes. They've collected food and pots that Bea has made out of clay. They have a routine now. Hunting, gathering, making stuff. Bea teaches Ed the word kiss. This is a word that he interprets, I think, like, oh, we will have affectionate attention time. Because that's how he seems to use it. Anytime he wants her to pay attention to him, he's like, be, kiss? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Still no mating, though. At one point, Ed finds out there's a hole in Be's mysterious top covering, aka shirt. When she notices it, it makes her really sad. Ed thinks, well, maybe now she'll finally use the skin I made for her and make some real clothes. And I thought this part was really sweet. He thinks a lot about this gift. And he's like, I want to make her happy. Even if making her happy would make me sad, I still would make her happy. So he's, I would say at this point, in love with her, or loves her at any rate, because he's willing to put her above himself. He thinks that he's going to give her a gift to cheer her up. He thinks really hard about what kind of gift she might like, and he remembers that she always uses a stick to comb out her hair, and he decides he's going to make her a comb. And he's carving this comb, and he's working on it really hard, and he's not really paying attention to her. They're at the lake. He's sanding the the wood down with the comb to make it smooth with actual sand. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's why they call it sanding. (laughs) Got it. (laughs) So he's kind of distracted and he hears Bess scream. He discovers that 
she's being charged by a boar. She's kind of cornered. She's kind of far away. He can't really get to her. And the boar rips her pants and he's hauling ass. He finally gets close enough and he attacks the boar and it's man on boar action time. He is fighting this boar to the death and manages to kill it somehow with just a little tiny blade (laughs) that he was using to carve the comb with. He's able to eventually stab this boar in the neck and it dies. He's in full-on reaction mode. He's flipping the fuck out. Part of his headspace is, oh my god, I almost lost her before we could even have kids. This is not (laughs) cool, man. (laughs) I need to procreate. It's very important. (laughs) He carries Bay home. He drags the boar behind them back to the cave. He's flipping out. What if she's hurt? He rips off the rest of her pants to check out her leg. What if she died? Oh no. So he's super taken over by instinct and he's got her on all fours and it's like he's gonna start putting a baby in her the way he's thinking of it anyway. She is not happy. (laughs) I can't imagine why. He hears her say the no word again and he's like, oh, oh oh, yeah, that word means she doesn't like it. Oh no. Oh no, what did I do? Ah! It brings him back to his senses and he stops what he's doing. He's so confused. Why? Why Why won't you mate with me, bae? I give you skins. I make you food. I catch you fish. (laughs) Why won't you love me physically? (laughs) He wonders maybe there's something wrong with him even. But after he stopped um, this instinctual rutting behavior, I fuck should we just call it what it is it's kind of rapey but he stopped and it's okay bet understands that he was upset it seems like because she kisses him and she takes off her shirt and lets him touch her and it gets kind of sexy and then she takes him to the lake and wants him to wash some more and she tries to lure him into the lake with her nudity like look ed if you come into the lake you can see me more naked i'll let you touch my hair (laughs) (laughs) please take a bath (laughs) i understand sex is going to be inevitable but i'd like that dick to be clean (laughs) at least that's how i interpreted bez actions i don't know they get back to the cave and make some stew out of the boar ed decides maybe she doesn't know how to make clothes so i'll make her some clothes they have more kissing they go lay down for bed And he really wants to mate, but he doesn't really know how to get her to want to. This is where words would come in really handy. (laughs) Why, Why won't you have sex with me? What can I do to get you to say yes? Which, I mean, (laughs) isn't very romantic, but (laughs) is better than what he's doing. Yeah. I'm like, there don't have to be verbal words. Again, nonverbal communication. It's a thing. We had nonverbal communication way before we had verbal communication. So it stands to reason there would be some sort of signed language or something. (laughs) I think there is some nonverbal communication, but I think he's just really confused because she doesn't behave in the way that he expects her to. Yeah, I just still think that if he had some form, he should have tried to teach her. But maybe he was separated so early he didn't learn a lot from his tribe. I don't know. I don't know that it would even occur to him to try to teach her because everyone knows how to do that. 
she's just weird. Uh, maybe. And there's no way for him to know why she doesn't do it. He doesn't know that she doesn't know. I would think that if he gets so frustrated, he would try. I guess not. He decides just to accept her the way she is. Yay. <laughs> we can continue with the non-communicating then, because that's working out really well. <laughs> it is working out really well, because she does give him a handy. Well, yay. Good for him. <laughs> <laughs> He's super into it. It really took a load off his mm. mind. <laughs> <laughs> and the next day he's in a great mood <laughs> and he's sure she's gonna let him give her a baby soon <laughs> this just must be another test Beck cuts up her old pants into small squares and uses them for washing this is super exciting because now she can make him bathe from warm water he has no excuse not to bathe he finishes the comb finally while she's out gathering some more plants, and when he gives it back to her at home, she cries, but he can tell she seems happy. And she hugs him and gives him the cute nose touches, which she's never done before. He thinks, well, maybe it's time for, for baby making. Maybe, maybe now. Things do seem to kind of progress that way, and she doesn't say no. But she does seem kind of nervous or scared, and Ed thinks, well, maybe it's because I was so rough with her after the boar attack. He feels kind of bad about that. And he wants her to know that he's not going to hurt her. Be ends up teaching Ed how to get her off. So she's excited. Yay, reciprocal. Yay for her. And then they finally have the sex. And now we have the point of the book where there's a lot of sex. A lot of sex. Ed is really motivated to put a baby in her. A lot of time has passed at this point. It's almost winter again. So they've been collecting food all year long. Be has made an amazing invention called a hide on a stick that enables them to carry much more than before. I was thinking maybe it was a travoy. Mm, maybe. Because they can load it up and drag all the wood and food and whatnot back with them. So they end up being able to do a lot more collecting a lot more quickly. This is amazing. Ed is super happy about it. And he works really hard to pamper her to show her his appreciation. There's a point where Be starts refusing sex. She seems to have created a stick that she puts marks on and keeps it kind of hidden by the wall. You get the impression through context clues that she's trying to do some family planning, you know, the old fashioned way. She doesn't want to have sex during her fertile period, but Ed doesn't understand this. He's like, why? What did I do wrong, though? She's not mad. <laughs> What's going on? So he's angry and sad and rejected and all sorts of feelings, but he also would rather be with Be, even if she never has sex with him again, than be alone. He starts to go to Be, I think they're at the lake again? I'm not sure. But he sees another man approaching her. This other man wants to put his baby inside her. Oh no, this is awful. Yeah, this other man shows up and attacks Be, tries to rape her. She fights. Ed gets over there, they fight, Bet ends up falling to the ground, she gets knocked out, the man hits Ed in the head with a rock, he gets knocked over, I think he passes out briefly, and he wakes up to the man, like, dragging Bay along with him, and Ed grabs a branch and hits the man in the head, like, with a baseball bat, and he ends up winning because of that, and the man runs away, but Bay is asleep, she's not responsive at all, and she's bleeding from her head, 
copiously and won't wake up. Ed is very, very concerned, very sad. He gets her home and puts her by the fire and he lays with her because he doesn't know what else to do. And he decides that if she doesn't wake up, he's just going to lay here and wait until he doesn't wake up either. He would rather be dead than not have Beth. I don't know how much time passes where Beth is actually passed out, but it seems significant. When she finally wakes up, the fire has gone out and it's cold in the cave. This is really bad. When Ed realizes the fire has gone out, he starts flipping out. Beth, now that she's awake, is making more sound and Ed realizes, well, I would rather hear her noise than not hear her noise. (laughs) (laughs) Even though it gives me a headache, I guess. Beth starts hunting around in the dirt and she finds the metal button from her her jeans that she had on. She gets really excited. She uses the metal from the button and some flint to make fire. This is super happy. Ed is thrilled with this amazing ingenuity that Beth is showing. <laughs> wow, she's weird but really fucking smart. <laughs> And they're really cozy for the wintertime. We get the first snow and they have tons of supplies, so much food, all the stuff. It's great. They have nothing to do except lay around, sleep, and have sex. Beth teaches Ed another word, love. She tries to tell him that she loves him. He does not understand this. He does know it's an affectionate word. He ends up saying it luffs. Beth is also finally pregnant throughout the winter that's what happens the time in the story speeds up so now it's spring again Beth's stomach is definitely showing a baby she begins shaving off ed's beard for him at one point ed is out exploring and he finds the skeleton of a person and he thinks maybe it was the man from before because there's a crack in the skull and he feels kind of upset about it because he'd never killed a person before now Beth is heavily pregnant And Ed is finally concerned that maybe she could die in childbirth. (laughs) He remembers back in the old days in his tribe, his mom was able to have lots of babies, no problem. But there were some other women in the tribe who had more trouble. And I mean, childbirth is dangerous. When it's finally baby time, they're both scared and labor seems to be taking a super long time. And after laboring all day, Beth finally gives birth to a girl and they named the baby Law. Yeah, I think, didn't she try like Sheila or something? Yeah, they tried Sheila. Or Beth tried Sheila and Ed was like, no, that's too long. <laughs> we don't do long names. What are you talking about? Have you learned nothing? More time passes. It's winter again. Law's growing. They have a family. It's great. And now it's spring again and Law is sick with a fever. They can't do anything to cool her down. They try with water. They don't really have much else they could do. And you get the feeling that Law is going to die pretty soon. But one day, there's a weird buzzing sound outside and Bev runs out there. And there's all these spinning weird circles. And then a man appears out of nowhere. And before Ed can do anything, Bev runs up to hug him. Ed takes a look at the guy and realizes, you know, he looks kind of similar to Beth. Maybe this is her father. They have lots of sounds between Beth and the unknown man. Ed really wants to protect Beth. He really wants to protect Law. He wants the man to leave. 
this man arrived at a really inconvenient time. This is the end of Law's life and they should be together as a family. This man is preventing that. But Be gives Law to the man and then the man disappears with Law. This part of the story was really kind of fucked up because there's no way Be is really able to explain her reasoning. She tries to say, I think Be loves Ed, Be loves Law. Like, try to explain this is, she's doing it because she loves law. But Ed doesn't understand what happened. He doesn't get it. As far as he's concerned, his daughter is is not only dead, but also gone. Gone forever. And so more time passes, and Ed is grieving the loss of his daughter. I think Bet is also grieving. But they still gotta do stuff. You know, they gotta do the hunting and the gathering and the whatnot. We get another time jump. Now they have a son named Lee. Lee is probably about, I don't know, like a few years old. I think I so. Think. And one day the buzzing sound is back. This time Ed recognizes it and he's ready to protect his family. He's not going to let the man take his son too, damn it. The man reappears and has Law with him. And she seems exactly the same as the day he left with her, except she's healthy now. But she's not any older or bigger the man puts Law down and then backs away from her and Ed goes up and picks her up and realizes it is Law. How did this happen? What a mindfuck that <laughs> must be for him. He gets surprised by a sharp pain in his arm. He passes out. When he wakes up, he's in the cave. Be is holding both Law and Lee and her dad is also there. Be tells Ed that her dad is named Dad. Which <laughs> I guess is a suitable... Uh, name sound for ed <laughs> he does not like this dad person <laughs> be and dad spend a lot of time making sounds and eventually dad leaves but before he goes he gives be a mysterious black container that has different things in it and as far as ed can tell every time she opens the container there's something different in there she won't let him look at the container though we get more time passing and there's no more babies one of the things dad did was give Be an implant <laughs> for birth control, which was very, very thoughtful uh -huh. of him, for sure. Lee and Law are now children. They're learning to hunt, gather, craft. They're noisy like Be, but Ed doesn't mind. And then one day they're out hunting and they find another group of people. These people are friendly and so they end up joining their tribe and they all move to a bigger cave. And even though Be and the children are weird and make a lot of noise, they also have super valuable ideas. So that helps the new people accept them. They got the cool fire making device and they have the Trevoy thing and they have the pottery and whatnot. We get more of a time jump. Lee is now grown. He takes a mate. Be and Ed eventually have two more kids because the implant wore out. A daughter named Kay and a son named Phil. And then there's one point... Um, after they have those kids, Bet goes back to the old cave with Ed and she gets something out of the box and she uses it on herself and then she bleeds a lot for like a while and then somehow Ed intuits that Bet is not going to have any more children after that. I don't know. Okay, sure. We get another time jump. Bet and Ed are now old and they go back to their old cave. Bet is sick. Ed is carrying her there, and they die there together. 
And that's the end of the story until we get the epilogue, which kind of brings it full circle. So the epilogue is from Elizabeth's perspective. She is a teen. Maybe she's 18. Hey, maybe she could be with a mom who's an archaeologist and a dad who's a scientist. Her mom has this archaeology display that's called the lovers. And it's these remains of two people, a man and a woman laying together and there's some weird anachronisms in this find a metal button and pottery so the mom has been getting some heat is this all fake what is going on elizabeth's dad is super into researching time travel elizabeth has come to find him to surprise him for lunch and she goes to his lab and bumps into some equipment and accidentally sends herself back in time and that's the end of the book. Yay! I did read the follow-up novella called Luffs, which is little vignettes from this story, but from Bez's perspective. And I wanted to bring up the pottery thing. So the reason Bez was so upset about the pottery is that she recognized it from her mom's archaeology dig. Oh. And that gave her the understanding that she was going to die there. Mm. She was one of the lovers in the, in the display in the museum. It must've been really intricate pottery that she made a design that was really familiar to her. It was the way it was shattered. Mm. She recognized the break. Okay. That's why she threw it into the ravine too, because if it's not there, then they can't discover Mm. it. (laughs) (laughs) And then there's another part where in her dad's notes, on the the remains there's a note that the female is related to him somehow yes so she's able to put two and two together i would have thought it would have been the metal button that was from her jeans i think the pottery breaking was just the final straw for her where she finally allowed herself to accept that this was her life now a couple other mysteries get cleared up the dad gives her a book with plant life so that she's able to more effectively gather food. He also gives her the implant, of course, but the shot that she gave herself where she bled a lot was supposed to make her sterile. I don't know if that's a thing where you can make yourself sterile with a shot, but maybe. I don't know. Time travel's real, so. (laughs) I don't know, but that's what that was. Oh, there's another part where the dad says that the mom wanted him to use the sedative to force Bed to come back oh. with him, but he realizes that she wants to stay. And so he does what he can to make her life as pleasant as possible. So he gives her, like I said, that book with the plants and the birth control and the sterilization shot and some antibiotics and stuff like that. Um, Stuff that is all biodegradable and won't last, but will make his daughter's life slightly more comfortable. There was one other mystery. There was the the thing with the baby. And I mean, you can kind of intuit that Law didn't age because she hadn't been gone that long in the future. That does get brought up in the novella as well, how the dad is struggling to pinpoint bez location in time Mm. he only had the baby for two weeks 
while he was working to try to figure out how to get back to his daughter. When he did get back, it was off by three years. Oh, okay. So that's why it seems like Law didn't age at all, because she really didn't. (laughs) And the time travel is at a level where they can't pinpoint exact times, just sort of hope for the best. I mean, he got there really close, plus he managed to get there when Law was sick, so. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) kudos to the dad, right? (laughs) I did think the whole dad character was really weird, though, because he does seem super willing to let his teen daughter just stay in prehistoric times. Yeah. I was talking about this book with my husband because I thought he'd think it was interesting. And he's like, well, why didn't they bring the caveman back with them? That seems to be the right (laughs) solution. (laughs) And I was trying to defend it. And I thought, well, maybe it's because... There's no way Ed would be able to ever really truly understand the yeah. the future. They can't really communicate with him at all. So it doesn't make sense to do that to him. It would just really make his life worse, I think, because of his mental health and ability to understand. Yeah, that makes sense. And I guess the dad was really understanding of his daughter's wanting to stay. I think Be realized that if she left, Ed would die. He wouldn't want to live anymore. I don't know that she felt trapped into staying, though. I think she decided to stay. I mean, at that point, she kind of had a life there. And she had another kid. And she wasn't the same person when she left. You know, that kind of thing. And I mean, I guess at the point that the dad comes back, she's three years older, too. Yes. So maybe he's willing to let her make more decisions than he would have been otherwise maybe maybe yeah i wasn't sure like she was able to go back you know what i mean because i didn't read the novella so i wasn't sure if it was like a only one person can go back and forth there's a size constraint you know a baby could go because a baby's tiny but like another full-size human it wouldn't work i mean i didn't know what the rules were so i assume she advocated to stay and he honored her wishes yeah she did she wanted to stay so for the novella there's also a a note from the author about how they finally decided to write this novella they originally weren't going to write anything else for the story and had gotten a lot of requests to have the story from elizabeth's perspective and was like no i told the story i wanted to tell it was good but at some point felt like this inspiration to at least write some vignettes and whatnot. And I appreciate that we have some more understanding. If you read the novella from Bez's perspective, I think there are mysteries in the story that just never get cleared up unless you read yeah. the novella. I don't think that's bad, though. I think it's okay to have those mysteries. It gave me a lot to think about because I spent, I think, a few days between reading oh, the uh-huh. two books. And so I was just wondering these things. Like, I thought the shot that she gave herself where she bled was to make her miscarry. Oh, yeah, no, I didn't think that. And maybe that somehow damaged her and she wasn't able to have children due to that. So when we learn in the novella that, (laughs) no, it's a magical sterilization shot. I was like, oh, oh, Yeah, that's what I assumed it was. A magical sterilization shot? Yeah. (laughs) 
Well, you were right. I wonder about the mom, too. Like, she seems awfully cold. Why didn't she go back in time, too? Yeah, again, I thought it was like a only only one person can fit through kind of thing. Yeah, it does seem that way. Or some sort of technology limit, because why else would her mother, an archaeologist, not go? I know. The mom should have so many uh-huh. reasons to go. If anything, I would have expected the mom to show up and not the dad, frankly. But whatever. She's essentially a non-character in this story. She's just the archaeologist that discovered this remains or this this burial site. I don't know. Like, it, it made more sense. I'm, I know time travel makes it weird, so I'm not sure the logic works out. But the mom was so obsessed with finding the burial site, especially if she wasn't able to go back and see her daughter. Yeah, Like maybe. I said, with time travel, I don't know if that logic works out. But it made more sense to me, regardless. Yeah, it just, I don't know. The mom doesn't make sense to me, and the dad sort of does. But also, I have <laughs> questions we should probably talk a little bit about the power distribution in the relationship i feel like there is a power dynamic issue in the story at least at the beginning because bet is reliant upon ed for her survival and because they can't communicate she has no reason to think that he would take care of her if she didn't do everything he wanted i think he behaves in such a way that she feels safe pretty early on but honestly, I'm kind of surprised she said no that first time yeah. to the sex. I am glad we didn't get like a coercive sex scene, but I wouldn't have been surprised if we yeah, had. Yeah, me neither. I think it's interesting that the author did make sure that there was a lot of consent in this story, even though they couldn't really talk. One of the words, the first word Ed learns is no. <laughs> I think that was probably very intentional on the part of the author. Yes, probably. (laughs) I also really enjoyed um, the writing style. I thought it was a very internal story because it's all in Ed's head, of course, and he can't really communicate with anyone else. So it's his story entirely. It's what he knows and then what we're able to intuit from context clues. And that's it. And it was really interesting to me. I enjoyed it. I think while I'm happy that I got some of the mysteries answered by reading the novella, I'm a little sad that I read it too. Because it kind of takes away from the... The mystery. Yeah, the the mystery and then also just the tone, Mm. I think, of the story. It has a very specific sort of feeling just reading the, the one book that you get that is not present really in the second book, I think. I think, too, the little epilogue at the end where we do get Bez's perspective a little bit, I think that was great how it brought the story into a complete circle. I thought that was really clever on the part of the author. And I also thought it was really interesting that the author let our main couple die. Yeah, I agree. I mean, granted, they lived a long, happy life, as far as we can tell. But we get their entire life together. Which I don't think we've read a book like that. I don't think so. Before. Yeah. So that's kind of new. New to me anyway. How was the audiobook? Uh, the audiobook was good. It was narrated by Chris Chambers. I think he was a good Ed. <laughs> <laughs> Did he make caveman noises? Not like weird ones. I don't know. Normal sounds? <laughs> it didn't strike <laughs> me as particularly caveman-y. 
There's that one sound that Ed makes when he's kind of surprised or amazed where he's like, oh, yeah, I, mean, I don't know. It didn't strike me as strange. No, it seems sort of caveman to me reading it. Well, Em, are you happy for their happy? They seem to get along well. So, you know, I'm happy enough. <laughs> I thought this was a sure yes, because we know what their story was like. We know they were happy together. I guess we know. Sure. <laughs> we don't know? I mean, I guess we know. Like I said, I guess. <laughs> what about you? Were you? I'm happy for them. Yay. <laughs> I think it's definitely a different sort of story. It's, it is a romance, but it's an unusual romance because you get the couple's whole life together and there's all those time jumps and whatnot. And then they never truly learn to communicate on the level that we're used to communicating at at the very least. But they do seem very happy together. And Ed would rather die than live without Bay, which is morbid, but also kind of romantic. Yeah. Let's rate them. How do you rate Bay? I put her as awkward, super awkward. (laughs) Somewhere in that vein. I don't know. Like it... There were times when she seemed more like a fleshed out person, but she never became real for me. I know he was like, the, oh, don't don't make sounds and all of this. But I'm like, she could talk. She'd be like, fuck you. I'm still going to talk. I have a voice. He was psychotic about the sound stuff, which I don't really get. She never stops talking, really, though. She always makes sounds. I know, but for him, it's just sounds. Yeah. Eh. I don't know if. I was supposed to relate to her or connect or whatever, but it was just awkward for me. What about you? I thought she was awesome. I really enjoyed how we learned what we could about Bay. I understand your perspective because, I mean, we don't know her as well as we would if we got inside her head or there was actual communication happening between the two of them or whatnot. But I think the author did a really good job with the contextual elements and the reactions that Bea had. I enjoyed the mystery of trying to figure out what her deal is. I appreciated that. It was kind of different for me. It was different. New and and fresh and different. So I, I liked it. It's hard to say anything definite about what she is because we don't really know her that well. But I can definitely intuit that, you know, she is very brave. She chose to stay there. She chose to have sex with him, knowing that it would lead to having babies, which I'm sure was terrifying for her, given the circumstances. And I say chose to have sex with him because he was willing to respect her no. Yep. She is able to use the skills that she does have to make their life better. I thought that was really cool. Mm -hmm. I think she's probably lonely. I think it would be really hard to live... In a world where you can't really talk to anybody. And I think she's probably really happy that her kids were able to talk. (laughs) Because finally she had somebody (laughs) she could talk to. Finally, someone who speaks both languages. Assuming bilingual children. Yay! Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I think I did relate to her circumstances, at least on some level. Because I kept trying to put myself in that situation. Like, how would I feel? And then take that to figure out... Well, does that match how Bay is acting? Does she feel that way? I enjoyed that aspect of the story. How did you rate Ed? Mm, I put awkward. 
it was interesting. Like, that's the thing. It was like both he and Elizabeth were really interesting. The story was really interesting. There were aspects of his life that were super interesting, but then it was all woven in with that whole, like, put a baby in her, put a baby in her, put a baby in her. And I'm like, oh, my God, I need a shot. (laughs) Like, every time he says it. Yeah. Because remember, okay, a while ago where there was that one book where it was like a moth to the flame? Yes. Yep. And it affected your enjoyment? Yes, because it was so repetitive. (laughs) Where it was just like, seriously, dude, I wish I was in the mood for alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of get it. Like the caveman thing. In theory, the more like simplistic thinking, I guess. There was that one moment where he was, was it like because of the rapist guy? Where he's like, no, I should put a baby in her first. And then if he died, oh no, he hasn't put a baby in her. Oh yeah, so then she'd be alone and pregnant and then trying to give birth. That's not terrifying. And not just alone, like (laughs) in another country alone. Like alone, as in there are no other humans. It's not like she's a midwife or anything. She wouldn't know like any, (laughs) anything. (laughs) Good God. Now it's starting to sound more like a horror story. Yeah, I don't know. Ed was definitely sweet. You know, it's just that whole baby thing was just awkward. What about you? I actually agree with you. I also rated Ed awkward and largely for the same reason. I don't know that I've ever complained about too much sex in a book. (laughs) But there's this whole middle section where it's just We're going to mate and I'm going to put a baby in you. Is there a baby in you yet? Let's keep trying. I need to. And it's just like, okay, like, that's good. And I think the sex scenes were were well written, but I think that the focus that Ed had on... Yeah, that single-minded determination. Yeah. And I mean, breeding is a trope in some romances. Mm. It's definitely a thing in a lot of books. Like, it ends with a baby. And sometimes there's a big focus on the breeding, like, I'm going to put a baby in you. So I've read a lot of books where there is that. But I think because it was so internal and that's all we got was his inner monologue, what he was thinking. It was just a lot. It was a lot. (laughs) Yeah, especially since his communication skills were so limited. Right. Not verbal, not gestural not anything and so it was all just really his wants and desires seemed to be one thing and it was like oh good god seriously there seemed to me at least to be kind of a a mishmash of how human he is because yeah. well that's why i asked about we, neanderthal we know from the author's note he's not an actual human he's an early cave person fictional cave person yeah so not modern then like not an anatomically modern human but like well maybe yeah because didn't the dad in the dad's notes it put like a human question mark or something yes i was assuming like okay it's got to be at least homo erectus right because he's walking up on two legs confidently (laughs) so yeah i was trying to put together like when and what this dude was supposed to be there were some places where it just it felt kind of awkward because we have This guy who, as far as he's able, is a total gentleman. Yes. Look at my stuff. I will make you comfortable. Here, have the food. Oh, you don't know how to make clothes? I'll make clothes for you. Look, I have the best bed that I can make. Isn't it great? (laughs) Yeah. And he's pretty in tune with picking up 
her signals, he learns no right away. Yes. It's very definite. And he is very respectful of that. And there's a lot of things like that, that it just seems very human to me. And then there's the instinctive side of him, especially that scene after the boar, where he's overcome with this mating urge. Hmm. I don't really know what else to call it. And it's almost frantic to him. And that's where his mind goes. And then like you brought up again with the other caveman, the rapey caveman. (laughs) And that's where his mind goes. He's like, no, no, I need to make a baby. It's difficult for me to reconcile those thoughts with what else we know about him. And for that reason, I rate him awkward, even though he does have a lot of awesome qualities. What about the antagonists or villains in the story? So I put essentially the wilderness, so like the boar. Right. I have to believe that that's some of what at least initially gets her to stay there because of the vast wilderness that she must know that she's not equipped to handle on her own. Totally. And then there's obviously proper villains like rapist guy. I don't know if we do, but Ed certainly feels bad that he murdered someone when he realizes that the dude didn't survive. But he's sort of part of that wilderness thing to me in my mind. And then to a certain degree, it's Elizabeth's father. I imagine he would have tried to make a case that Elizabeth should have come back with him. His timing was great for saving <laughs> saving law, so good on him. And maybe that's because of Ed's perspective. I sort of see him as a little bit adversarial through that yeah. kind of lens. And then I know it's not a person... But I know sometimes, like, more you so than me, like, is labeled, like, society or or whatnot. Like, those sort of border more on concepts than specific individuals. And I would say that their lack of communication between caveman and the modern woman. Yeah. And I'm not talking, like, verbal, but nonverbal. Just any communication. Yeah. (laughs) Especially as time went on. I think that's where it really, really started to grate. Like, I get initially, because any language, sign language or anything, takes time to learn. But when it was like three years have passed or whatever duration, and I'm like, still, freaking still. I kind of wonder, um, because we get a big time jump after they meet the other tribe and they incorporate into the other tribe. And then we don't really get a whole lot of their life in the tribe. I wonder if maybe that helped. Yeah, I don't know. No, I mean, I was a little happier for Elizabeth, too, because I think, didn't she make like a friend, too? Or something. I know she, maybe I'm remembering that wrong. But yeah, that's my list. What about you? I think you made a really good list. I think you included almost everyone I had. I put also environmental factors. Mm -hmm. We have man versus environment definitely in this story. And I think that was really effective. I think we had a real good sense of how fragile life is Mm -hmm. and how hard it is to maintain life in a situation where you have limited technology, limited tools, limited everything. Yeah, it was, I mean, that point was really well made when Elizabeth gets hurt and all Ed can do is just lay next to her. Yes. Because no modern meds, no nothing. And, you know, he's not a doctor caveman. So like he, he literally can't do anything other than just stay by her side and just hope. And I agree the language barrier is a major antagonistic element in the story. It's more of an antagonist for Beth than for Ed because he 
doesn't even realize it's a thing. He just thinks she's weird. Yeah, I kind of wonder, but yeah. However, trying to put myself into Elizabeth's shoes, how incredibly frustrating would that be? You get kidnapped by this guy. He doesn't talk to you. You're freaking out. But then, you know, we have the scene at the next day where she tries to talk to him and he just doesn't understand that that's what she's trying to do. Yeah. Oh, how terrifying, right? There's another point in the story where she's like, okay, well, maybe I could draw pictures in the dirt. All we get from his perspective is why is she playing in the dirt like that? I don't understand. She does... I think at some point try to do some gestures and they do do a little bit of that. Like, let me show you something. Yeah, I don't know why the, the visual thing didn't work. Cause just cause he doesn't have verbal community doesn't mean that he couldn't understand like graphics. Well, I think, and the author didn't touch on that specifically. And I'm not sure about what that area in the brain that the author removed from our fictional cave person covers but I assumed that he wasn't able to recognize that those were representations of actual things. Okay. So a picture of a fish, he wasn't necessarily able to tell that that was meant to be a fish, hmm. like a representation of a fish. Okay. But that is a big assumption. I'm not sure. <laughs> it's interesting because it by doing that, it takes away some things that we consider to be quintessentially human. I know. Is he human? <laughs> I I also put the rapey caveman, <laughs> the weather. I mean, that's another environmental factor, but that was a big one for sure. The winter is very scary. I put childbirth. Um, <laughs> that's, I don't know. That's really scary. That would be terrifying. Um, in, <laughs> to be. Yeah, in those circumstances. In those circumstances, that would be terrifying. I mean, like, are we sure this isn't a horror story? This could easily be tweaked to me. <laughs> it really could. Uh-huh. And then I put both parents in a way. I think the dad is a little bit more sympathetic. I don't understand the mom at all. Like, why? Why don't you care about your so kid? So was she not in the novella at all? <laughs> the mom? She's brought up. The dad mentions that the mom wanted oh. him to sedate Elizabeth and take her home with him. Okay. And the mom helped him put together the supplies that he gave her to make sure that they would not last the passage of time. Okay. But she didn't come along. I guess she was able to. Yeah, if the dad would have been able to take Elizabeth home with him, then yeah, the mom could have come. Unless only two people can go through I don't know. Freaking A. I don't know. It's one of those logic problems. Like, how do you put like this many gallons and this many containers when you only have X amount of containers and none of them are a gallon? Because I know it made a circle. So I was, I guess I was just kind of like, is it a circle only one adult human can fit in? Or (laughs) I don't think so. Like each each human traveling through get their own little circle? Or do do all those (laughs) traveling to and fro have to fit? into one circle in which case how does how come the dna doesn't get all mixy matchy wouldn't that be funny (laughs) yeah i i don't know yeah that's a big question and it doesn't get answered it doesn't make me feel good about the mom that's all i'm saying completely especially now that i know that she potentially could come then i'm like wait a minute (laughs) i just assumed she couldn't and i assumed 
he had to since he knew how that stuff worked. Maybe I'm giving her more credit than she was deserved. <laughs> I think I was a little bit more forgiving before reading the novella toward the mom. But after reading the novella, no, that mom is just heartless. <laughs> like, what is her deal? <laughs> you don't want to see your daughter again. <laughs> like, she <why>? made her <laughs> choice by making a single mistake. by completely accidentally doing this there's a lot of questions and in that sense the the parents are effective antagonists because (laughs) it does lend to the mystery of the situation and it does kind of leave things kind of open-ended i'll come to think of it like even if even if she couldn't go through she could send a note with him sorry i'm belaboring the point i know (laughs) (laughs) I know. I think, though, that ultimately they did serve to add to the mystery of the story. And there is, before I read the novella, I was still left wondering, like, is Beth from, like, the far future? Yeah, I wondered that, too. I wasn't sure if it was, like, now times or how far in the future. Because didn't she make, like, comment of, like, iPad or something like that? I feel like that was a thing. I think so. So it wouldn't seem so far in the future if it was the future. Unless iPads stopped being a thing. Throughout the story, it's just like, okay, well, she's wearing these strange clothes, the strange coverings. We don't know what they are. We can assume. And it isn't really till the epilogue. And then later in the novella, it gets a little bit more explained. But yeah, I I think all the... All the antagonists were effective. How did you rate the book? Well, it started off really high. Four, maybe 4.5. But then seriously, all that put a baby in her nonsense. And the continued (laughs) communication thing. So it ended up at a three, which I think is still good. It was scaling down. So it kept going. I don't know. But yeah, I think a three is good. I think that accurately depicts my level of enjoyment. What about you? I rated it a four and a half. I really liked it. It was a different sort of story. I had not read a story that full on embraced the communication barrier. I think there were some problematic elements surrounding that. But I think also that the point of the story, at least in part, was to see what would it be like if there was no possible way you could ever communicate with somebody and just explore that concept? So I just kind of embrace the fact that it is what it is. And yeah, there's some elements there that is that truly realistic? I don't know. (laughs) Do I care? Not enough to rate it down. (laughs) I think the main reason I rated it not a complete five is due to the baby making obsession Well, did you feel romanced? Not really. Mm. So while I I super enjoyed the story, and I did really enjoy learning about both characters as much as we were able to, and their dynamic, and it is very much just them for most of the book. And there are romantic elements in the story, for sure. I just couldn't get over the hump of, does she actually love him? I guess I just couldn't relate to being okay with being with someone who I could never connect with on a level that I highly value, being able to talk to them about what's in their head Mm -hmm. and what they're thinking and why and get to know them 
in addition to their actions and whatnot. And I mean, yeah, actions are important and everything, but it feels really lonely to me, the idea of it. It feels like a really lonely romance. And so, yeah, not so much. (laughs) What about you? No, I don't think that will surprise you. It felt like their forced togetherness in the beginning, it definitely created a reliance. And I could see how that translated into affection. I'm not sure if it created mutual love. Like I know Ed, he's all in really early, but that's not necessarily for love reasons. No, he f- he falls in love with her. Yeah, I think he gets to a love place. I know he's willing to commit really early. And then with her, I just, I don't know. I don't know if it's just one of those things like she feels resigned. She feels like even when her dad shows up that she's already stuck. She doesn't want to take her kids away from their father. She knows their father can't possibly survive in their world. And so it feels more sacrificial than love, which, yes, I know love can be sacrificial, but maybe that's just me. But it sort of translated like, I'll fall on the sword. It's okay. Yeah, there's a real sad element to it, isn't there? It felt like that, which we wouldn't necessarily have to be in her head to get those questions answered, but that's not resolved for me. And especially because I I guess I didn't pick up, or I didn't want to pick up so much that maybe she was like some sort of high schooler. It's like when you add that element in there too, then it's like, oh, it's even sadder to me. Yeah, it's a, it's rather tragic. Even if he is of a similar age, their life experiences are quite different, at least in the beginning. But you could you could say that even if she were 30, though. That is totally true. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> just based on yeah. the setting. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like you, I thought the story was really interesting. Like, there were lots of aspects of it that I found really intriguing and engaging. Well, what else have you been reading? So, not reading, but watching... I finally finished watching the uh, program. It's called The End is Nigh, and it's hosted by Bill Nye of Science Guy fame. And I guess comedian, stand-up comedian guy, too, which I didn't know. Oh, I didn't know that either. I learned that just now. So it's about different catastrophic events that can end life on Earth as we know it. There's six episodes, so six different things. You don't have to watch them in order, but I highly recommend that you do because by the time you get to the last one, it does all build, like the principles and things. So I think it makes it up for a more impactful ending if you do watch them in order. A word of caution if you do watch it. This isn't a spoiler. He said it in trailers. Like he dies every episode, like about halfway through because it's like, oh, here's the catastrophic event. Let's see how this event happened. And he walks you through and you have little vignettes with other people. It's the scientists that nobody listens to and, and other like, quote unquote, on the ground people, store owner or traveling dude or whatever. He's of course out there, like, (laughs) like some of the reporters you see, like with the weather, you know, he's out there reporting on the event and things happen and he (laughs) dies. And some of them, I mean, it just depends on your mindset. Like, I think a couple of them were sad. Most of them I just started laughing because I don't think they're meant to really traumatize, but everybody's got different sensitivity levels. But don't worry, he doesn't stay dead. Obviously, he comes back and talks of the science and the things that we can do to hopefully prevent these not so great outcomes from happening. But the episodes that I particularly liked was, you might want to brace yourself, it's called Forever Blackout. 
and it's about a massive solar flare that kills all tech for all times. Because <laughs> that, that would be bad. And apparently, like in the 80s, there was a good-sized, decent one. And there was one that happened, I think, that just skirted us. He brings that up. And I guess there was a huge one that happened, like, in the... When was I think he was saying like the 18 late 1800s. I should have written it in my notes. Um, but anyway, it wasn't so big a deal because we had no tech at that time, even though like the electricity at the time like sparked and things happened. It wasn't a big deal because we were still like in the horse and buggy days. <laughs> but now it would be a much bigger deal. Uh-huh. So that was a really great episode. I found that one particularly impactful. I find that terrifying. There was one called Midnight at Noon. And this tickled my little history loving heart because it was talking a lot about how the dust bowl happened how humans created the dust bowl essentially but of course the one he talks about in his episode is essentially a dust bowl on steroids but they are potentially at least if not avoidable to lessen to ameliorate you know oh it sounds really interesting there are aspects that sound terrifying, but... <laughs> I mean, they are, but that's the thing is we're not doing enough to prevent them. So of course they're going to be more horrible when they happen if you haven't done anything to lessen the effect. But I do like the phrase that Nye used in the last episode, which is evidence-based optimism. Okay. So yeah. I'm taking that one and using it somewhere. I don't know where, but <laughs> I like it. Anywho, so what have you been reading? <laughs> Was probably something a little less less terrifying than watching that but it was still good it was so good um well terrifying in a different way because it's fictional <laughs> but i recently finished shutter by ramona emerson it is kind of like a mystery paranormal ghosty thriller our main character rita is a Navajo woman who lives in New Mexico and is a forensic photographer. She works for the Albuquerque police and she's a really good photographer. But one of the things that really helps her in her work is she actually can see ghosts. So sometimes that draws her attention to places where maybe it Mm. wouldn't have otherwise Mm -hmm. been drawn. The interesting aspect in this story, though, because, I mean, we have a lot of, oh, mystery solver sees ghosts. I do. And I like that. Right? (laughs) I know. It's like everybody's got their thing. I I do like that. I don't know why, but I do. Yeah, I do, too. But this one is very different because this woman is, uh, she grew up in, like, the Navajo culture. And the way they view the spiritual element of things is a lot different. They have a lot of taboo surrounding death so her experience with the ghostiness is limited because when her grandmother who's the one who raised her discovers that she maybe kind of sort of sees dead people the response is to shut it down like no 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 you can't you can't let them into your life you can't let them know that you can see them we need to go to the medicine man and have him chant this away and protect you and all this stuff and she learns to hide this ability from her grandma and says it, it went away because of the whole situation with that but she has a healthy fear around her ability and then also an extreme lack of control because her whole life has been about no no avoid don't do anything with that power (laughs) pretend it doesn't exist so when she's at this one particular crime scene the ghost of the dead person who is the victim of the crime 
kind of attaches themselves to her. They they realize that Rita can see them. Oh. And is like, well, you're going to fix this. You're going to figure this out and you're going to make sure these things happen. And Rita can't figure out how to get rid of this ghost. It, it, it is scary in that this ghost is able to dramatically affect Rita's life. When Rita doesn't do what this ghost wants, things <laughs> are not good. <laughs> the way the story is written is also really good. I'm not a huge fan of flashbacks usually, but this story... It trades off where every other chapter is a flashback chapter. So we get one chapter about Rita, forensic photographer, dealing with this ghost problem. And then the chapter before that is Rita, child growing up, or Rita, Hmm. teen, dealing with something. It gives you more insight into the character throughout the story. And you kind of learn more about why she is the way she is, why she acts the way she acts. And each chapter is about a particular type of camera. And the photography and the cameras and the whatnot are all a big part of the story, too. She has this fascination with it and grew up with that fascination. And that, at least, was acceptable (laughs) to her grandmother and everything. (laughs) Yeah, it's a really good story. I would say give it a chance after the first chapter because the first chapter is very detailed and kind of grotesque. It definitely throws you into how Rita thinks, how she perceives things. And then the following chapters are less, have a different, they they almost seem written differently, I think. But yeah, it was a really good story. Really interesting. Really enjoyed the Navajo element. Yay. And I think, I think it's a first book for this author too, as far as I can tell. Good for them. So they did a good job. And... That is it for this time. We did it. Check out our website, romancemepodcast.com, for links to our social media, show notes, and other episodes, and our upcoming reads. And don't forget, you can subscribe on Apple, Google, Amazon, or Spotify. Oh, I guess that's my turn now. So, speaking of socials, (laughs) (laughs) were you romanced by Elizabeth and Ed's story? Let us know what you think. And of course... Join us next time when we discuss Slave to Sensation by Nalini Singh. Oh, wow. <laughs> My whole house is I, I was like, I'm just going to give you a minute. <laughs> hey. Thanks, Hal. Modern creepy things. That's why technology not working anymore is kind of terrifying to me because I I'm know, fully that's why I was it. like, but your pearls, honey. Here it comes. <laughs> <laughs>